Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Asban, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Sadi Chet, page 98. So Anne is still in the middle of lots of Purim. Um, for those of us who are in America, <laughs> we just finished Shabbat, so Shavuot Tov. We obviously are recording this earlier, but, you know, we're going to try to keep it real like it's in real time. Um, and uh, this stop contains three very interesting Mishnahs. I'm going to read the first two and go through a bit of Gemara on each one. And then Anne will get to the, I think, actually the longest Mishnah we've seen yet. It almost takes up a full Amud. And I think it's, you had some in- how to frame what exactly is happening here um, at the end of this parak. Um, and so the first Mishnah begins as follows. The Mishnah reads as follows. So if somebody designates a female animal for his Pesach, which we know the Pesach has to be a male animal, or a male animal that's in its second year, we also know that the animal has to actually be a um, in its first year, right? Right. So it needs to be left out to graze until it basically gets some, some type of blemish. And then what? And then it would be sold. And then it's money, right, that you get from there will be basically donated for some type of, uh, you know, for shlamim offerings, offerings, basically. Um, and then finally, the, the Mishnah concludes with, let's say somebody designates his Pesach animal and he dies, right? So his son or whoever inherits from him doesn't then go ahead and bring that korban as a Pesach. Instead, he should just bring it as a korban shlamim. So we have cases here, the first half, which is basically animals that never should have been consecrated um, because they didn't really qualify to be a Pesach animal. But it's interesting that the consecration, right, designating them as hegdesh still maintains some value, right? but we're not going to actually be able to bring it as a Korban Pesach. And then the second case is a very practical case, which is, okay, you designated a Korban Pesach, but, you know, somebody passes away in between and what happens. And so we're still going to let that animal be brought as a Korban, but it cannot be brought actually as the Korban Pesach itself. And so the Gemara here, you know, goes through, uh, basically has a very interesting question, right? Well, first it quotes, um, it quotes a Brisa, uh, that talks about something similarly. And, you know, it's a whole question of whether or not the son was registered with him or not registered with him for that particular Pesach. And so then the Gemara, you know, talking about that Brisa asks sort of the essential questionnaire. Demesav a mite, right? When did the father die in all of this, right? If you say he died before Chatzot on Erev Pesach itself, how can the Brisa say that the son is, you know, basically registered with him to bring it as a Pesach? Right? The son now has this Aninu status, right? Which we had talked about um, previously, right? And we know, right, that was on Dab Sadi and Sadi Aleph, right? That an Onain basically does not, can't eat, you know, any type of Korbanos. Um, so the one who becomes an Onain on Arab Pesach, he can have the Pesach basically shechted for him, Right? and can, you know, eat that meat as long as there are other people who are registered for the Pesach with him. But if he's the only one, he can't. So here the question is, it doesn't totally make sense. If it was just the father and the son, he's an owning. You can't really shuck this korban on his behalf. So no, say that actually the father died after chatzot, 
right? So then how can you say, right, this whole thing of the father, the son not being registered with him can bring it as a shlemim, right? So in other words, this brisa doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't totally make sense, right? In other words, if the son wasn't registered with him, why would he be allowed to bring this as a shlemim? So what it, what this all is hinged on is, right, where the animal was at noon, right? Because in other words, the idea here is, is that if the animal, I don't think I'm explaining this totally clearly here, basically at noon, right, the animal was still considered to be a Pesach. So why shouldn't the animal just be brought as a Pesach? It doesn't actually need to be, it's not really considered sort of an animal that couldn't fulfill its obligation as a Pesach, and it should just be brought anyways. So then the Gemara, what it does is, is that in a way that I don't think we see very often, it basically goes through five Amurayim, right? One after the other. Um, and it basically tries to basically solve what this is. And each of them have a different opinion. I'm not going to read all of them. Did the father die before noon, right? Um, and, you know, did the did the father die afternoon? Um, maybe these were actually two separate cases that the Brysa is actually talking about. But it's clear that this Brysa that's mentioned afterwards is very <coughs> puzzling to the Amorayim, and it doesn't entirely make sense. And what I was surprised about here is, is that, you know, sometimes when we have these Brysas where it seems like either a word is missing or something about it doesn't totally make sense, you know, sometimes the Amorayim will come and they'll say like, okay, it's actually missing a word or really read it like this and now it will make sense. Because again, we understand the Tanaitic literature, the Mishnah, the Brysa, the Tosepta is sometimes really shorthand, right? And so they sort of assume, okay, occasionally sometimes a word is missing or something like that. I'm puzzled by why that's not a technique that's employed here, right? Instead, it's almost like you have five Amurayim, each coming up with a different way to twist how you can get this Brysa to make sense. And so I guess in order for them to sort of add a word or take away, you know, add a word when, when the um, Amurayim <clears throat> do that sometimes, maybe there has to be like a really strong Masora or case to do that. So I, I, I'm just thinking about this more. This is a little bit more of a meta comment. You know, why is it that the solution presented on this page is just listing five different possibilities, but the Gemara really never, I think, lands on a place of where they really feel comfortable with what the actual intention of this Brysa is. So, and I think maybe that's one of the possibilities that we talk about, you know, the distance between the Amorayim themselves talking about the Korban Pesach as if it's their immediate reality, but also it's not. So that, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, this is speculation, but they didn't have a need to come to Psak because they're not, meaning they always want a Psak, but they're not in the, in the position of having to adjudicate between these positions. So I feel like maybe that's part of why they can kind of leave it, you know, we've offered our opinions, we've offered our solutions, and we'll, you know, hang loose in the meantime. Right. So I, you know, that I just thought this was, that to me was what was striking about this particular Gemara. We'll go on to the next Mishnah here. Ha-Pesach Shanita Rebasvachim, right? So let's say you have a Pesach, uh, you know, an animal that you designated that then becomes mixed up with other types of animals that were designated for different korbanot. You know, so let's say, I don't know, Ann and I were trying to figure some of this out because we don't own animals actually. But let's say, <laughs> I guess you owned, you know, maybe you had part of your pen, you know, had your area for your korban animals and it got mixed up what what animal was for which korban. 
right? So you left, leave all of them to graze until they get a blemish. They all should be sold. And then the owner brings the value for the most expensive amongst, uh, among them a sacrifice of this type. And for the value of the most expensive of this type, right? Um, and he basically forfeits the extra, you know, out of his pocket. So basically what he's doing here is that he has to basically bring each type of sacrifice equivalent to the value of the most expensive of all these lambs. So I, I think what the idea is, it's not that he like got mixed up a cow and a lamb. It's all the same type of animal, right? It's all a lamb or a goat, but they were designated to be different things, right? So in other words, um, you know, so if he was bringing one for an Asham and one for a Pesach or one for an Ola, you know, so what he basically has to do is if the most expensive of those animals was, let's say, worth a certain monetary amount and the other two were worth half of that, okay, he needs to bring three Corbanos. So let's say you had three animals and they all got mixed up. One of them was worth $100. Two of them were each worth $50. He needs to end up purchasing, right, with his own money, basically, he takes the money from selling those animals once they get blemishes, and then he has to make up whatever was the most expensive animal. He has to buy three animals of that equivalent, okay? Um, and 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 of the most expensive ones. So you have to buy three animals that were each worth $100, um, okay? Right? If, let's say it becomes mingled with Bechor offerings, right? So what we know is, is that if you have the, the firstborn of an animal, has to become a korban and goes to the Beit HaMikdash. Rabbi Shimon Omer, and so Rabbi Shimon has this interesting solution, im kohanim, right? If the group um, uh, registered on Pesach is all kohanim, right? Who basically kohanim are the only ones who can eat those bechor offerings, yochel, they can all eat it that night. So in other words, you would basically sacrifice all of those animals on the night of uh, Pesach, and those Kohanim could eat all of those animals. And that and that's basically what Rabbi Shimon says. So it's interesting that, but presumably the Tanakama would hold, right? Everybody else would hold. No, you just do sort of the same solution. You would leave them all to graze and then do the same thing of purchasing animals later on. And so the Gemara, you know, basically is puzzled by Rabbi Shimon's uh, solution here, right? And it says, Vahakai, mighty kachin leveda pasol. Right, he's exposing them to basically beta pasol. One English translation I saw said it's like a situation of invalidation. And what do they mean here? Right, a korban pesach can only basically be until midnight, and anything any meat that's left after that point is called notar, and we know has to be burned. A bechor animal, right, can be eaten for two days and a night, and it doesn't become notar until that period of time has passed by. So when you mix Pesach and Bechor, you know, together at the Seder, right, he's basically, Rabbi Shimon's basically going, basically saying you could only eat all of that meat until midnight. And essentially, whatever is left over, you're going to burn. And so I think what they don't like is that you're sort of cutting short the amount of time that you normally could eat a Bechor. But what Rabbi Shimon's conclusion is basically is, and again, I'm not going to read any more of the Gemara, because it's going to go through how he came to this reasoning is he would rather limit the amount of time 
that a sacrifice can be eaten, right? Then it could be then and then having it grazed. And I guess it's just a totally different approach. I don't have a particular answer about why he thinks that way. I mean, the Gemara, you know, quotes a mission to sort of support that. Um, but, you know, again, I think it's just a different approach about what to do with this intermingling. And I think he looks at it as, oh, but if you have this coin situation, you could actually bring all these things as, as carbonos and really use them the way they're supposed to be used. And you don't have to do this whole thing with the grazing and the selling and, and this kind of stuff. But the Gemara really doesn't totally lo- love his answer. Um, yeah, I don't have something better to add there. I, what I do find in this daf, and I said this to you before when we were preparing, is that I, I feel like not only are we coming to the end of the parak, meaning, you know, spoiler alert, that's tomorrow, where we have the end of the parak and the beginning of the new parak, we're also coming to the end of Masecha Pesachim as we've known it thus far, right? All of these discussions that we knew were going to take program, chapters and chapters on the Korban Pesach are coming to a close. And I feel like they're going, wait, but what if that happened? And wait one second, I've got another case. Do we cover this? Let's make sure we've got all the bases down because we're about to enter, you know, the 10th parak is really about, I would say, our Pesach, right? The What happens at the Seder and so on. So on the one hand, that's much more convenient learning, I think, for us and anybody who, you know, has kind of found the Korban Pesach to be more of a challenge, I think will like the 10th parak of Pesachim. But on the other hand, I really feel like th- these few Mishnayot here are, are doing like the wrap up, you know, um, you know, let's, let's make sure we covered everything. And I, as I was reading, I was like, wow, the Mishnah thought of everything. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, I'm not saying we c- couldn't come up in a, with a case that isn't included here, but that's what I feel is happening. That regardless of the degree to which the Gemara makes everything a neat package. I think it's kind of like the opposite of the neat package. It's kind of the ragged ends to make sure that everything is is under discussion. That you know, we've talked about what time a person might die. We've talked, you know, who's who's already offered the carbon pesach and what happens to the pesach. We've talked about if they if they get you know confused, which animal is which. Okay, okay, now we can go on. You know, like I, I I'm I'm not saying this was an actual explicit uh, method. I just it feels like we're tying up loose ends. Right. And it's, you know, just going through all these different types. It's really a study of like anything that could possibly happen. Yeah. And now really our last mission of the DAF, right? This was another three mission of DAF and it's a short DAF. So think about how much mission there is. This is really long, as you said, one of the longest, if not the longest mission, mission that we've seen. Um, and it's, you know, the Gemara on it again, rather short because we're, the Mishnah covers it. I'm not going to read it all inside, but I will open with it inside. We've got a group, and they've you know designated their Korban Pesach, and now the Korban Pesach gets lost. And again, I, I don't know the practicalities of this. I don't know how common it was to lose a Korban Pesach. I, I would think that you kind of hold on to it, but maybe it's... The jumbled up, I understand better, right? If it's jumbled up with, with another animal or somebody else's Korban Pesach, that's more that confusion uh, I can envision. I'm not sure why they're not, how this Korban Pesach has gotten lost, but so be it. One says to the next, So somebody says, go and look. One says to the other, you go look for a Korban Pesach. And then when you find it, right, you do that on behalf of everybody. 
So that person goes, he goes and he finds the animal, which is reassuring, right? It's not too badly lost. And does the shechita. But in the meantime, the rest of the group took a different animal to make sure that they have a Korban Pesach. So now this group fundamentally has two animals that they have designated as their Korban Pesach, and that doesn't work. You can only really have one. And then the question is, if that first one, meaning the one that the guy went to find, if that one was slaughtered first, who ochel mishalo vehem imo mishalo? Then everybody eats from that first one, the first animal that had been designated to begin with. Veim shalahen nishchat rishon. But if the group one, meaning the second replacement korban, was shachted first, then heim ochlim mishalahen. Then all that group eats from the second one. Vehu ochel mishalo. But the person who went after the korban pesach, meaning that first animal that got lost, he eats from that one. Right, because it turns out because he was out, you know, on the prowl for this animal, he was not actually included as a registrant in the replacement offering, which I think is a little bit concerning to me because what happens if he didn't find the animal? Then does he is he not then part of any group? Um, you know, in terms of in terms of just making sure that everybody's covered for their carbon pesach. But then the Mishnah, of course, explain, you know, does the next category, which it is, I think. Um, incredibly important. Because this seems to be the, the, you know, again, they're not on the phone, on cell phones with each other trying to coordinate. Okay, you do the shrita now. Now it's my turn. If you don't know which of them did the shrita first, or if it turns out that they really did it at exactly the same moment, this is a really interesting solution. He eats from the Korban Pesach that he went and found. But in the meantime, the rest of the group ended up being designated to the second Korban Pesach, but they were already registrants for the first Korban Pesach, but they can't eat it because they've kind of nullified their connection to that when they take the second one. But the second one doesn't really kick in because the first one was already being shechted at exactly that moment, or, or maybe perhaps they're not sure which happened first. So they don't eat from the second carbon pe- Pesach. And that carbon Pesach, right? Meaning it, it, um, it is going, it, they take the carbon out to the place that's designated for the burning, right? Because that carbon can't be used for anything either. But this crew doesn't have to bring a Pesach Shani, right? Because they really were involved. They were registrants in one of these two animals. They're just not sure which one it turned out to be, so they can't eat from any of them like as a precaution to make sure that they're not eating from the wrong one. But but the, I don't know, the calculus, the accounting of it says, yes, well, in that ledger of who who was uh, fulfilled their obligation of a Korban Pesach, they might not have eaten, but they, because they'd been registrant and because it was shafted properly and because and because and because they don't have to bring a Pesach Shani, which I thought was an interesting covering of, you know, covering of all the bases here. Um and then they have another, you know, another example. What would happen if that same lost carbon pesach? They sent out somebody to go look for it, and that person says, "What happens if the person who's going out to seek that carbon says, you know, if I don't get back by thus and such a time, you go shecht a new one and include me in that?" Now it's not uh, the first guy's 
only relevant, only registered for the first animal. He's actually now part of the second animal. So, and they've been better in terms of coordinating that time factor because, you know, he can say, well, if I'm not back by this time, then he can assume that the other people will shecht the new one. So then what's that case? They still have this question of which is slaughtered first. If the second korban, meaning the group one, is slaughtered first, then all of them eat from the new one, which seems to be a better solution just in terms of covering everybody's bases. You know, he's not he's not going to be left high and dry. And if his is slaughtered first, then he eats from that one that he found because it was like a conditional a conditional involvement with the new one. Um, but they eat from the new one and they don't have to say, um, they don't have to, there's, there's no uh, equivalent, uh, what's the word? Equivocating over who goes with which uh, korban because that's how they set it up, right? The conditional statement of, if I'm not back by a certain time, include me in your new korban, um, doesn't kick in yet because presumably he found it, but yet they had checked out a new one. Uh, there's one detail in this timing here that doesn't quite make sense to me. Uh, again, what happens even in this case if they don't know which happened first? Or if they really checked them both at exactly the same time? And this is the opposite uh, sack from the first case. They all eat from the new Korban Pesach, and his Korban in this case is the secondary one, let's say, and he doesn't eat from the new Korban with them because maybe he was Yotze already with the first animal that he himself had found. And that animal will go to the Beit HaSrifa to be burned, and he doesn't have to make the Pesach, the, the Pesach Sheni. It's the same rationale, but it's turned around because he's the only one who would have been connected to the original Korban. Everybody else, including him, this, the person who went to look for it, is now um, connected to the second Korban. So to me, this is like the, the better plan. The, this kind of conditional statement is a better plan because it leaves fewer people without, you know, in that limbo land of not being able to eat a Korban Pesach. Here, only one person would be stuck in the position of not being able to eat a Korban Pesach. But then, if he says to them that if he's if he comes back late, if he doesn't get back by a certain time, then they should include him in the Korban Pesach, and they say to, back to him, you know, if you find that Korban Pesach first, that he should do that shkita and all of them will eat from the first one. Meaning if the if the conversation that takes place between these two parties, the group that is, you know, waiting for the guy to go find the lost animal and the person who goes to find the lost animal, if they actually have better communication, I would say, right? More detailed communication. I don't mean to put a value judgment on it per se. Um, then, then the, first of all, then they should have less of a potential for the case of not knowing what happened. But if it's still was the case at that point where everybody is now kind of connected up to both animals and they still don't know which happened first, then both of those animals need to go to the Beta Shrefa, they go to get burned, and um, the entire, all of everybody uh, doesn't need to bring a Korban Pesach for the um, Pesach Sheni. And, and the opposite case, because remember, they're, if we say that they're cleaning up loose ends, they really are going to pursue all the different parameters. 
If they had poor communication, they didn't say anything about stipulating who's going to be involved in which, then neither of them is responsible for the other in terms of whether who whether whether the group has any connection to the lost animal, meaning they've moved on, they've taken a new carbon pesach, and he has no connection to the new animal. He is only connected to the lost animal. And then everybody kind of, you have one person who stays connected to the original carbon, and everybody else ends up being with a new carbon. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that seems to be um, the most divided, I would say, between these two groups in terms of what the connection is. And then uh, the mission is still going on here. What happens if you have two groups where the carbon Pesach become, you know, you're not sure which which carbon went with which group, which animal went with which group. And this is the case where I say that, you know, this I can I can see happening. I'm not saying it would be good. I'm saying it's I can imagine it, right? Where where especially if you're if the people bringing the carbonote are not um, well acquainted with their animals, then you know it makes sense to me that they could be confused over which is which. And then at some point it says that they're going to, this I think is interesting, um, the cases where they basically, you know, each animal kind of ends up with one of the, one of these two animals, and then they say, um, if this animal is the one that is ours, then you are no longer connected to it. And if, you know, if this animal is the one that is ours, right, they, they can stipulate this condition that kind of changes the halachic reality that will establish whichever animal they now have to be the one that they need to have to go forward with the Korban Pesach. But they, it's kind of a, a switcheroo in terms of establishing which Korban goes with which group. And then just to make it more complicated, we've got another example. You've got five groups with five people each, um, or ten people each, and now you've got now you have to figure out, you know, what's happening amongst all of these groups if there's a whole intermingling of it, and how are they going to each determine which carbon pesach is going to be for themselves, and then another one, another case. If you have two people, and but just again. It says here two in you know we're talking about two individual people, which is confusing to me if we're talking about isn't the carbon pesach always connected to a group? But okay, right here we've got two individuals and the carbon pesach is they get confused. It turns out that this is a much more streamlined case because each one can just take the animal and say he they they say that they register someone else with them for the Korban Pesach and they'll take someone else to, you know, for, it says, from the marketplace, meaning some, not somebody that they already know necessarily, right? And then once that has been done, meaning they've taken new people to register with them for new Korban Pesach or one of these two animals for the Korban Pesach, then each one of them, um, they they end up right lining up where you have each person has the I don't know let's say the guest from the marketplace on that that animal that they have each kind of pulled one to themselves to be their new designated animal. 
they stipulated, they say, if this korban, meaning if this animal, because they've been confused, if this one is mine, then you are off it. You know, you are off yours and you are registered for mine. And if, if, um, and I am off mine and I am now registered for yours, meaning they make the, I didn't say that right, but I hope the concept is clear. It does, my stipulation doesn't matter because they've done it right. The, the way of saying, we're not sure which of these two animals goes with which person. So we're going to say, this is my animal, or if this is my animal, then I am only with this one and I'm off that one and vice versa, so that they can stipulate, they can make the stipulation and therefore shech the animal before them, respectively, and not worry that they've got the wrong one because they've, in the language of making this conditional statement, they have changed the reality, the halakhic reality over which animal is relevant for which party. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's the end no, of that I, Look, I think uh, you did a great job with that. Um, and we're almost out of time here. But... I- what I liked about this mission is just kind of incorporated all these elements, right? Lost, lost sacrifices, groups not eating with each other when in the way that they're supposed to be, you know, well, let me, you know, do you end up having two groups, you know, split from one group? Do you have to do a Pesach Shani? It kind of brings together like all the threads that we saw in this one parish came together in the most complicated possible case that I think the Mishnah could come up with. But do you hear what I mean? That I feel like, okay, are we getting there? We're almost done because we only have like a half a duff, half a yeah, half a duff left of this chapter, which means half a duff left right. of which the discussion really of the carbon pesach. They don't, you know, they they don't, they don't have that much to comment on that. But we're going to wait until tomorrow to discuss this actual <laughs> to discuss this actual <laughs> mishnah. So that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff. And it's lots of Mishnahs with interesting and confusing ideas on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.